Well, good morning. And, uh, you know, an extra special good morning to those who are visiting us today. We're really glad that you're here on a day that the church calls Palm Sunday. Now, I know that, um, I know Ryan mentioned these cards, but I know that a few of you are here today, and we had a few here this morning, too, at 9 a.m., because someone here invited you with one of these cards. So, listen, uh, give those folks a hand who came because they were invited. We're glad that you're here. And the reason we wanted to invite you here is twofold. One is we're kind of getting tired of getting to know the same people. We need new people to know. And, oh, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but no, I mean, on a serious note, you know, whoever you are and wherever you came from, you are made in the image of God. And as fellow image bearers of God, we can bless each other, but it's hard to bless each other if we don't know each other and get together from time to time. Amen. And the other reason that I'm excited that you guys are here is, I forgot, oh, I know. The other reason I'm excited is, you know, uh, we've got a community here, we've got a people of God here, you saw the Eps, you see others as we go through our We Are West Bulls series. God has given us so much here in a wonderful place to come and praise and worship on Sundays and each and every day throughout the week to bless each other and be God's blessing with each other, to care and to help and to get to know, and he's given us so much, and I just... I want to share it with as many people as possible. So uh, we're glad you're here this morning if you're visiting. And whether you're visiting or not, there are more cards, as Ryan said. Please grab more of them on your way out. Let's run out of them again. And sometime this week, just hand it to someone. It's really funny what Ryan said this morning. He didn't know this. But one of the people that I actually gave my card to this week was the girl that cleaned my teeth. When, When he said that, I said, I can't even believe that he said that. So give it away to anyone. Just say, listen, there's, a, uh, there's this group of people here. There's this place. If you don't have a place to go to on Easter, uh, would you come? Would you join me? And here's something that just reminds you of, you know, address, where it is, etc. So grab some cards again on the way out. Well, this morning is indeed Palm Sunday, what we call today Palm Sunday. It wasn't called Palm Sunday in Jesus' day, but back then... Back then, this day, on the front end of the week-long celebration of Passover, this day was known as the day, was the day set aside for you and your family to go and select your perfect, without blemish or defect, lamb for the Passover sacrifice later in the week. That was this day. And so you would go with your family and pick out that lamb for that sacrifice. And that sacrifice specifically to celebrate God's past protection of his people and to ask him to continue to keep that promise, to protect them from death, to bring them and to give them life through the valley of the shadow of death, even as he did for the Israelites in Egypt during that tenth plague so many years before. And so how, how amazingly fitting that on that day, this day that we celebrate, how amazingly fitting that on the day that, people's, that God's people were selecting their sacrificial lambs, on that day, the lamb that Peter tells us God chose before the creation of the world came down riding on a donkey on the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem 
to sacrifice himself to make possible eternal life for all who believe. So on this day, we remember that God's chosen lamb came to bring life safely through that doorway of death. As you know, if you've been here for the last couple of months now already, my how time flies, we've been looking at the essentials of the Christian faith. And so I thought on Palm Sunday, on Lamb Selection Day, we'd look at one essential at least about that Lamb of God, about Jesus. So far in our essentials, we've looked at God, we've looked at humanity, and then last week we looked at that problem called sin that separates us, threatens to separate us, separate God and humanity. And so what better place, what better place to go next than to the God-human being himself, to the God-man himself who connects it even by, who, who, who bridges that gap between God and humanity even by his very nature being both God and man, the one who came to solve once and for all, that problem of sin. And you know him. His name is Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at the person of Jesus and ask, who is Jesus? And then next week on Easter Resurrection Day, we'll look at and celebrate the work of Jesus and ask and look at maybe a bit of a different way, what exactly is it that Jesus did. What did Jesus do? But this morning, who is this person called Jesus? We could, we could answer that question in a number of ways. We could answer who is Jesus in a way that we sometimes answer when someone asks us who we are, by a name, or in Jesus' case, by using his titles, titles like Savior. Who is Jesus? He's our Savior. Or titles like Christ or Messiah. Those are the same words in Scripture, one just from Greek and the other from Hebrew. Or titles like Son of God or Son of Man. And especially on Palm Sunday, a title like the Lamb of God. And we can also describe Jesus by what he did. That's a common way we describe ourselves too. Who are you? Well, I'm a teacher. Who are you? Well, I'm a plumber. I'm a fireman. We describe ourselves. We answer, who are you, by talking about what we do. And we could do that with Jesus, too. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the one who came to save people from their sins. We could answer the question that way. But I'm after something a little bit different this morning in this question, who is Jesus? I mean the question more, who is Jesus at the core of his being? Who is the person, if you will, that the Bible and history call Jesus? And in answering the question that way, I'm after the one essential of our faith that I want to highlight this morning. And, you know, we actually introduced to this essential during this past Christmas season before before we even started our series on the essentials. So I'm not going to go back now and repeat that study since it was pretty recent, but I want to continue really from where we left off. And we left off with the following essential to the Christian faith, or what I'm identifying now as an essential, what we said last Christmas, 
And it's also the answer to our question this morning at the same time. So who is this person, Jesus? And the essential answer, the answer, answer essential, one answer essential to the Christian faith is this. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Or stated differently, Jesus is the one with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, that are in one person, a divine nature and a human nature, all unified in one person. That's who Jesus is. And that's an essential to the Christian faith. Tinker with that and you come up with something that is other than Christian. And you know that's really the underlying reason, speaking of Christmas, that Christians affirm the virgin birth. Mary was a virgin. To show Jesus is of God. And Jesus was indeed born a real baby boy. To show Jesus is of humanity. So virgin birth really is about as short and succinct as you can get to affirming Jesus being fully God and fully human. And how beautiful, how wonderful really that God chose to make this point emphatic about his son through a miracle. He didn't have to. But he chose to do it supernaturally through a miracle, just to emphasize the point, really, that Jesus is fully God and fully human, the miracle of the virgin birth. And now, throughout, throughout the history of the church, especially her early history, Theologians debated. Go figure. That's what they do. But they debated, they debated just how exactly do these two natures, the divine nature and the human nature, how do they relate to each other in that one person of Jesus? How, how does that work exactly? One person, fully God and fully human. How, how can that possibly work? And they debated that. And over the centuries and in the history of the church, there are basically six theories and their variations. And you see they're rather ominous sounding names listed on the screen. There are more than six, but these six and their variations represent fully, really, all serious attempts to try and and pin down, explain fully just how the fully God and fully human thing could work. And the funny thing is this, at least I find this funny, it cracks me up. All six theories and their variations, every theory out there that tries to nail it and pin it down, all six theories and their variations in the history of the church have been declared heresy by the church. All of them. We have no accepted theory. We have no working theory even on just how exactly to complete detail Jesus could be fully God and fully human. And that just cracks me up. And it cracks me up in a way that just, it makes me delighted. And people say, well, why? Why does that make you delighted? And we've talked about this before. It makes me want to praise God, actually, because, 
we find ourselves once again in one of those areas where God's ways are so above our ways, are so amazing, are so great, that even the best and the brightest and smartest men and women in history can't fully explain it. Only God can. And I just love it when that happens. Because it's a testimony to me. It's an affirmation to me that you know what? God really is above and beyond and greater than the mind of humanity. Woohoo! God really is greater than us. And oh, thank God He is greater than us. Who wants a God? that I or anyone can fully comprehend. That's the trap of a scientific approach to faith. The approach that says, I will not believe in anything I can't understand. You limit God to who you are and what you can understand. Why would you do that? Who wants a God that I or any person can fully comprehend? That would make God an intellectual equal or make me an intellectual equal to God. And wow, would we be in real trouble then? If God wasn't smarter than just some person. So rather than wringing our hands in disappointment or even embarrassment when, you know, the world says, well, you can't explain stuff like fully God, fully human, and yeah, you're right, we can't really explain it, you know, feel kind of stupid talking about it. Don't go down that road that the devil tempts you toward when we don't know everything about every detail about God. Instead, thank God when we can't fully comprehend him because that means he's so great I can't even imagine how great. Amen? And so, for the next six weeks, we will study each of these theories in excruciating detail. (laughs) Wow, on the same Sunday we had spontaneous dancing and spontaneous weeping and gnashing of teeth. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I did that with a class once in seminary. It nearly killed us all, so I'm not going to. It's a great study. Do it sometime on your own. It won't take time Sunday morning to dissect them. But, but I wanted to put them up there at least for you to see for two reasons. One, it's a, you see it's a complex, difficult problem. And two, when you read after, you know, why those things were declared heretical, it gives you a bit of a sense of where you want to avoid going in your thinking about and telling about and getting to know Jesus. He's not like those parenthetical things because Jesus' divinity and humanity are real and complete. And he is one person with his two natures completely unified, not confused. So instead, in the time that we have left this morning, I'd like, I'd like to share just a few things, a few things that I've picked up along the way that really help me. And so I hope help you too to, to better understand at least that great mystery of just how exactly Jesus' two natures work, how they, how they relate to each other at least give us an idea of where the fuller answer comes from one day when uh, we can fully understand it, when we're made and renewed whole and new, 
when Jesus comes again. So even if we can't fully understand or grasp God, it's good to try and understand him, at least good in this sense, because even if we understand somewhat, even a little understanding can go a long way, a long way to affirming and encouraging and strengthening our faith. And it can go a long way in helping us to uh, you know, to get to know God and get to know Jesus more when we understand more of him and, and even to describe and explain what he's like uh, to others when they're interested. And, and this is an area that you'll find out there when you meet with folks maybe that haven't bought it yet. It's one of those reasons why they say they don't believe. What is this fully God, fully human thing? You can't expect me to believe that. That's ridiculous. You can't be fully God and fully human. So... See if these things help this morning along any of those lines. In thinking about the incarnation, and incarnation I'm using as short for Jesus' fully divine and fully human nature in one person. In thinking about Jesus' incarnation, who the two nature or, or how the two natures of Jesus fit together, what are some what are some helpful guidelines to avoiding any of those nasty-sounding heresies that we just had on the screen? First, oh, and this one even involves math terms, uh-oh. But first, in thinking about the incarnation, it helps to think, think about it as an addition of human nature not a subtraction of divine nature. In thinking about the inner incarnation, how the fully divine and fully human natures work and relate to each other in one person, it's helpful to think about an addition of human nature rather than a subtraction of divine nature. Here's why. Many of you I know are familiar with the very famous chapter 2 in Philippians, which says in part, this about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, some have suggested that Jesus made himself nothing by getting rid of aspects of his divine nature. That's the subtraction I'm suggesting as a guideline we avoid. That Jesus subtracted away parts of his divinity. But that misses by a mile the point of this passage, in my opinion. It's not what it says. The key is the phrase, equality with God, something to be used he didn't consider it something to be used to his own advantage. That's from the recently updated NIV that just came out this year. So in other words, while still fully God, while still equal with God, Jesus didn't use that to his advantage, the Bible says. Instead, he added his human nature to his divinity, and along with the human nature, he added 
he added its limitations upon the use of his divine attributes, even though he still had them. Does that make sense? Those limitations were not the result of him losing any divine attributes. He still was able to be omnipresent, but he chose not to be. He still had all of the divine attributes, but chose not to use them, chose to limit their use, that he nevertheless, his use of the divine attributes that he nevertheless still had in him. And so adding humanity to his person rather than subtracting divinity from it helps us understand and explain Jesus' two natures in one person best, I think. Here's another guideline, and it's related. In thinking about the Incarnation, stay away from anything that suggests that Jesus' two natures somehow took turns. Okay? This, too, will help keep you from being banished a heretic. And, and it's helpful to understanding Jesus more and to explain him to people. Jesus didn't sometimes say or do things as a human. And then on other times, say or do things as God. Everything that he said and did was from his unified divinity humanity. His natures, both of them, inseparably unified. And some want to say, people always want to ask me and say, yeah, but what about the miracles? And my response with the miracles is this. Doing miracles doesn't make you God. It doesn't. Many people in the Bible did miracles. That didn't make them divine. Instead, it's helpful to think of everything that Jesus is and said and did as always involving both natures at the same time united. His actions were always, all of them, those of divinity, humanity, one person. And that's really the key to understanding that first one we talked about, how the human nature limits Jesus. Let me try and illustrate. Here's a few of the best illustrations I've come across to help me explain Jesus and to know Jesus more and to understand his two natures in one person, uh, how that works. See if it helps you. Think of the world's fastest sprinter. Nobody's faster. And the world's fastest sprinter enters himself into a three-legged race where he has to run, you know, with, with one of his legs tied to one of the legs of a partner. Now, his ability is not diminished. He's still the world's fastest runner. That hasn't changed. But his performance is limited. He can't run as fast as he can because he chose to tie himself to someone slower. And even if that partner is the second fastest sprinter in the world, he's going to be slower than if he ran alone. Or think of the world's greatest boxer. You know, and the greatest boxer ties one of his hands behind his back. He's still the greatest boxer, but the full expression of his boxing ability is limited. It's still there, but it's limited by his choice. 
Or think of a softball game between parents and their young children where the parents level the playing field by reversing their usual batting stance. If they bat right-handed, they turn and bat left, and vice versa. In each of those examples, ability is not, in essence, diminished. It's still there. But the conditions that are voluntarily imposed limit the actual performance. And I think so, too, with Jesus' divine and human natures in one person. Just as the runner or boxer could untie the rope and free his leg or arm, but instead chooses to restrict himself for the duration of the event, so Jesus' incarnation was an amazing, humbling, voluntary, self-chosen limitation when he added human nature to his divine nature. His divinity always functioned in connection with his humanity, but its performance was limited by Jesus' own choice. A third helpful way, I think, to think about the incarnation is to start, start with Jesus rather than with our own preconceived ideas about what's divine and what's human. What do I mean by that? Remember that Jesus' humanity is not our own fallen humanity that is tainted by sin, which is the only humanity that you and I have ever known. Jesus' humanity is the humanity of Adam and Eve, if you will. It's perfect. It's full. It's complete. It's fully realized. It isn't handicapped by sin. And that's something... As, as humans that live under the constraint of time and death in a fallen world, we really don't know much about that humanity. You know, when you think about it, we're, we're really not true human beings. We're humanity broken down. And that wasn't Jesus' humanity. Jesus is really more human than we are. His humanity was perfect as God originally made it in His image. And that's helpful, I think, because it seems more possible, seems more possible at least, that such a, a full humanity would be more compatible at least with deity than our own humanity is. So it helps me to think about it that way because it makes it seem less impossible at least that the two natures could come together in one person. Does that make sense? You see, our, our tendency in approaching this problem is we first think of humanity and divinity as we understand it. Well, the problem is we really don't understand either very well. But if we approach it that way, we say humans like this, divines like this, we can so easily get to, and never even think about Jesus, we can so easily get to, well, they couldn't possibly fit together. They're too different. That's just stupid. Well, the point here is that maybe they only seem too different to fit together because we really don't understand either very well. So instead, it's helpful to start with Jesus. What do I mean by that? If we start with the fact of his life and incarnation, the fact of Jesus being fully God and fully human, well, in Jesus we have, it's the proof that's in the pudding. In Jesus we have the best example of what it means to be fully human. In Jesus, we have the best example ever of what God is like and who he is. 
And because Jesus is real and lives, we recognize that whatever true humanity and true divinity is, they are not incompatible. Because there they are in Jesus. See what I mean? If you feel yourself tempted to go or you're confronted with, you know, I, I don't think this fully God, fully human thing can work. You know, watch out. Right at that moment, Jesus will tap you on the shoulder and say, Hello, don't think it works, do you? Well, here I am. It works. You know, does not. Does too. So it's helpful to start with the fact of the matter, the truth that the Bible affirms and helping us to understand how it fits together. Oh, here's the part to this one that really blows my mind. See what you think. Like we talked about two weeks ago, God made humans in his image, yes? And as the image of God, especially before sin, the human is already the creature most like God. And so God chose to become incarnate in a creature he intentionally made very like himself. He made compatible with himself. Hmm. And you know, it's quite possible, even that, it's quite possible that, that part of God's purpose in making humanity in his own image was intentionally done to pave the way for the incarnation he knew that would someday take place. Whoa. Is God, as he's even forming Adam and Eve, thinking something like, okay, I've got to make them in such a way, my son. I've got to make them, we have to make them in such a way that your divine nature will fit perfectly together with this human nature down the road. So we need to make them in our own image. Whoa! God is so amazing. Last, in thinking about the Incarnation, it's very helpful for us to think of Jesus as a very complex person. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, we probably all know people that we would describe or they have very straightforward personalities. I love those people. You get to know them fairly quickly Therefore, they might be quite predictable. But then we probably all, we also know people with much more complex personalities. And I love those people too. It's not better or worse, just different types of people. And those with complex personalities, they're just different from a more straightforward personality. Maybe they have a wider range of experiences. Maybe they have a more varied educational background. Maybe they have a more complex emotional makeup and the like. You know, just when we think we have them pegged, just when we think we know them quite well, that we got them now fully and understand them all and can predict their next move, all of a sudden another facet of their personality appears that we didn't previously know existed, right? You know people like that? Now, if we imagine complexity of personality if we imagine such complexity expanded to the infinite degree of divinity, well, now we got a bit of a glimpse, at least, into the personality of Jesus, as it were. His mysterious two natures in one person, because his personality included his divine attributes, too. 
He had within his person things like experiences and knowledge and a love to an extent at least not found in human nature, not anywhere close. And that had to come together to make him, his personality a little more complex than usual. Just ask the disciples if Jesus was a very complex person. Oh my goodness, ask Peter, who so often misunderstood him. Peter, who so often became a visual aid for the other disciples of the wrong answer. I mean, think about it. Those disciples spent all day, every day with Jesus for over three years. Who knew him better than his disciples? And they are constantly getting him wrong. Constantly. Take Palm Sunday, for example, since that's today. Jesus goes down the Mount of Olives, passing through those wildly cheering crowds, shouting, Hosanna, save us, and waving palm branches, and calling him, and calling out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he gets to the bottom of the hill. And what does he do? He climbs off that donkey and he bursts out into tears, weeping in sorrow. Those disciples had to be thinking, oh, what? Picture two of them standing there near to where Jesus just breaks down and and cries. Picture two of them kind of standing there. One says to the other, What's he doing? He's crying. He's crying? Crying. Why? I don't know. He just said something about our enemies destroying Jerusalem. That's why he's crying? That's what he said. Did he say why Jerusalem would be destroyed? Yeah. Well, what did he say? He said, Jerusalem will be destroyed because the people here didn't recognize him. Didn't recognize him? That's what he said. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody just praised him and God and called him blessed and said, here he comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, I know, I was here too. <laughs> well, what does he mean they didn't recognize him? I don't know. Maybe we can get Peter to ask him. <laughs> Where's Peter? He's over there in the bushes. What's he doing? He's trying to hide that palm branch that he was waving. I mean, no, good idea. I mean, Being the God-man, two natures in one person, well, you'd expect a complex personality, wouldn't you? A wonderfully, beautifully, amazing, loving, compassionate, but complex personality, wouldn't you? And maybe even the disciples' persistent bafflement with Jesus is a testimony even that he is fully God and fully human. They never quite 
had him pegged right up to when he ascended into heaven and they just stood up they, they just stood there staring up after him into the sky where'd he go I don't know what are we supposed to do now are we going to wait well he said he's coming back all right, let's wait. Hey, God has to send an angel and say, <laughs> So maybe it's helpful in imagining the true mystery of two natures in one person by, by thinking of Jesus as a very complex person. All right, it's time for me to let you go. What, what does this all mean for us today as we live out our lives? I, I've already suggested it helps us to understand and know Jesus a little bit more, so that's always a good thing. It helps us also to better explain his two natures in one person to people who are interested, and that's a good thing. But here's another point to ponder and really to rejoice over as we leave this morning. And that's just, I think, when we fully can appreciate that he is indeed both fully God and fully human, it energizes our passion and enthusiasm to tell the story like nothing else. Jesus, the story of Jesus has been called by Hollywood, no less, the greatest story ever told. And do you know what? It is. In fact, it's not only the greatest story ever told, but it's the greatest possible story that anyone could ever tell. And the greatest possible story that anyone could ever tell is true. And a huge part. Without this part, the story's not the greatest story that anyone could ever tell. A huge part of it being the greatest story ever told and the greatest story that anyone could ever tell, a huge part of what makes it that great is that Jesus is indeed fully God because that means that God himself came to fix it. That God himself didn't have somebody else do it. Oh, that would have been a great story. But isn't it the greatest story ever told that the omnipotent, almighty, big, great, big God he did it himself. Oh, and that makes it the greatest story ever told. That's why it's important that he's fully God. Our Mormon friends and others that say, why is that an essential? Why don't you just accept us as being Christian? I can't. It's different. It's too different on an essential. You're hurting the greatest story ever told. It's got to be God that does it himself. It lessens the story, deeply wounds it, if Jesus isn't fully God. It's God himself that came running to the rescue. What way more better story that it's God himself. If Jesus isn't fully God, the story loses its greatness. But as it is, as the truth stands, Jesus is fully God, and this truth makes the story Great! So tell the story, will you? Yeah. Don't be embarrassed that it doesn't make sense. It's what makes it great. I know. Isn't it great that it doesn't make sense? God is that great that we can't even figure them all out. 
And the same thing with his full humanity. The story loses its greatness if you weaken his full humanity. The story of a less than fully human Jesus is not nearly as great as the true story where a real flesh and blood human being like you and like me, that our humanity had a real and actual representative in perfect form, and that our flesh and blood was a full participant with God in loving God and loving others. He lets us be a part of it, and that makes it the greatest story ever told. Far greater if he said, you knuckleheads stained by you just your humanity, just... Let me take care of this. Get, get out of the way. That might be a great story, but you want to know a greater story? Just come on, I'm going to embrace flesh and blood. I'm going to embrace humanity. We're going to do this together in one amazing person, my son, both fully me and fully you. It's the greatest story ever told, so tell it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Go and tell the greatest story you ever told. Don't be shy. Hand out these cards, will you? Or if you don't use the cards, talk about Jesus. Invite people to come. This place isn't magic. Spend so much of our lives just... Well, I got my thing taken care of, and I'm enjoying my church, and I know God. And oh, we got such a great story to tell. Tell the story about how God Himself came, and as a human being, how He came as a human being to fix it all because He loves us, His segula, His treasured possession. And so He came and He did it which brings us to Easter. In the meantime, this week, continue to tell the story, won't you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending the one. Thank you for coming yourself in your Son, Thank you for coming yourself and humbling yourself to the limitations of humanity, however perfect. Thanks for doing it out of love for every person here and every person in the world and every person who has ever lived whom you desperately love and desperately want to bring home again into your family. Would you give us that desperate love too? Please. Father, we love you. We ask that um, you go with us now as we go our way. Give us the courage and the opportunity to continue to tell your greatest story that could ever possibly be told, to tell people the good news that the greatest story that could possibly be told is the truth. And it rests in Jesus, your Son. It's in his matchless, powerful, fully God, fully human name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction?
his good words, his blessings, I'd ask, I'd ask that you just turn and face the center here, face me, so you can see the other people in God's community. Church is more, even Sunday service, than backs of heads. Hear these good words from Peter in 2 Peter, where he wishes us this. May we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 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 God bless you all. We'll see you next week. Grab some cards. Praise God. <laughs>